All right. Well, thank you guys so uh, much for uh, joining me. And, you know, it, it is uh, exciting to see how God has put the pieces together that he's put together in our, in our leadership and our staff, but also uh, the different trustees and MLT members over the years and, and how he's working now. And I know, you know, if you're not used to some of that, you're kind of like, what's going on? But uh, we, we want to, you know, continue to have uh, the opportunity for our, our congregation to have a voice in the people that are placed in a position of leadership and, and to ensure that we're putting the right people in positions of leadership because organization really matters. And organization matters because people matter. And so we want to do things. One of our value statements, in fact, is that we want to do everything we do. We want to do it well and strategically for the glory of God. So that is everything we're doing as a church. We want to do it as, as to the best of our ability. And we want to do it with a purpose. We want to do it with the purpose in mind. And all that we do when it comes to business and organization really revolves around this idea of people living sent. You see, God doesn't put people in places of leadership to do the ministry. He puts people in places of leadership to equip people for the work of ministry. That's what Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. So as people who minister, then God places people in leadership to ensure that more people are ministering. So we're in this emphasis right now of living sin as we look at the theme, really, throughout the Bible of God sending his people to live their lives on mission for him. As we continue on that today, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you can turn your Bible or open your Bible or turn your Bible on uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we think about this idea of living sin, we kind of move deeper into how we should be doing this. The question for today, and an important question for you and I, if we want to live sin, is do we have the perspective of the kingdom? Are we kingdom-minded? Are you kingdom-minded? Now, as we think about this and we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to think about a passport. If you have ever uh, had the opportunity to travel outside of the borders of this country, then you had one of these. You had a passport. And what this passport means is, yes, you have the right to travel into those other countries. You might need a visa for that as well. But... Probably more importantly, it means that even though you physically are in one of those countries, that's not where your citizenship is. Even though you physically are in a country, that country is not your home. And so as we think about this idea of being kingdom-minded, we ask ourselves the question, am I kingdom-minded? I want to ask a few questions to help us really evaluate that. And the first question would be this. Is this world your home? Is this world your home? I'll begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, people do not want to die. In fact, many people 
fear death. Now, according to some surveys I was looking at, people do not fear death as much as they fear identity theft, as much as they fear government corruption or being poor. So most people would rather die than have their identity stolen, leaving them poor and the government not do anything about it. And, and I, I don't know if you remember this, but back you know, 10, 20 years ago, a lot of surveys were revealing that um, people's number one fear was speaking in public. And so Jerry Seinfeld said, most people would rather be in the casket than delivering the eulogy at the funeral. But regardless, people do fear death. We think about death. Often people are worried about death. And so when Paul's writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about this idea of tent living, this idea of tent living. Now, we don't understand this the way that they would understand this or other countries necessarily understand this because typically if we're in a tent, it's because we're paying to go be somewhere and stay in a tent. It's something that we do for recreation. But in in other places, there are uh, migrant communities that get set up, tent cities, if you will, that get set up. Now, most of these are intended to be temporary places that people live. And, and, and so, you know, they, they, would, they didn't have Holiday Inns or the means to a Holiday Inn or Best Western or whatever it may be. So they, they set up a tent, a temporary residence that they would live. And it's not to be intended to live in long term. And Paul compares our body to this. He compares our body to this. Now, I want you to think about the difference between someone who's living long term in a tent city and in a tent versus someone who has just went there for a festival like they would in this time or, you know, for some other event that was taking place. Now, if this is just somewhere you're living temporarily and a storm comes, a flood comes, some kind of trial comes, you realize, hey, I have a more permanent structure. I have a more glorious home than this. And so this may stink what I'm going through, but there is something better for me. Now, if this is where you live, if this tent is where you live, if this world is where you live, then when you go through that storm, you do not have that same kind of hope. And Paul says, in this tent, we groan for our heavenly dwelling. We know that this is insufficient and that I am created for more than this. He says, we groan that we would be further clothed, not that we would be unclothed, that we'd be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up for what is life. And Paul's saying this, and the first word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, is the word for, because he's kind of doubling down, he's clarifying what he had said at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so here's what he said in chapter 4. I'll start in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You may physically suffer, but this tent is not your home. You may be mourning the loss of someone you love, but this is just transient living. You might have emotional struggles that you deal with for 10, 20, 30, 
40 years, but this is a migrant community. You might be going through some kind of adversity in your life, but this is not your home. You might live your whole life in poverty, but like the hymn writer says, I heard about a mansion that is prepared for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea and about the angels singing and the old redemption story and some sweet day I will sing up there the song of victory. Victory in Jesus, my savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. This is just tent living, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is just a migrant community This world is not our home. So is this world your home? That's really an important question to ask if we really are wondering if we are kingdom-minded. Another important question to ask is, do you have spirit-given courage? Do you have spirit-given courage? I'm gonna read beginning in verse five. He who has prepared us For this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, this is God's plan for us, that we are in a temporary dwelling and we have a mansion, if we'll use that, prepared for us for glory. We are in a transition. We are transient once we were born again. And the Spirit of God is the evidence of this transition that's taking place in our lives, of our moving of our residence. And this scripture tells us that we are to be of good courage. It says that multiple times, to be of good courage. To be of good courage means that we have confidence, that we have a boldness about the will of God, about the way we live. Now, to have confidence and boldness does not mean we are full of pride. It does not mean that we take pride in ourselves And we think we know everything and we think we can handle everything, but rather it means that we know we can trust in the will of God. It means we know we can trust in our king. So it does not mean we have pride, but also we should not be people of fear. We are people who are living with the spirit-given courage. Now, I wanna ask a few follow-up questions here because you may be wondering, I don't know, am I living this way? Let me just ask you some follow-up questions based on our text. Do you walk by faith not by sight. Do you walk by faith or do you walk by sight? The word faith in in the Bible isn't a demographic. It's not a set of doctrine. It's not a ritual we go through. It's not having our name on a roll. Faith, the Greek word, means that we are united in trust. So we trust God. So do you trust God with your speech or do you talk like the world talks and how the world talks? 
Do you take every moment to say, I've got to prove myself, I've got to express myself, or are you slow to speak? Are your words seasoned with salt? Are you kind? Are you loving? Do you trust God when it comes to your speech? Do you trust God when it comes to the plans and the direction of your life? What about your time and your money? Does God get the first fruits? Or do you think if I give God the first fruits of my money and my time, I won't be able to do all the things that I want in my life and I don't trust God that he'll make me happy? What about in the adversity that we go through in our life? The waiting that we go through in our life. If you were to ask me what's the hardest thing about, if someone younger were to ask me what's the hardest thing about you know, just following God, and some of you who are older are like, you don't know anything about waiting, boy. You know, I don't know why you talk like that, but that's just how I perceive you rebuking me on this. Um, I would say it's the waiting. It's the, when you're being faithful and you don't see the fruit, when you're going through some struggle and just waiting on God, but do we trust God in those moments or are we filled with anxiety and worry and all these things? So do you really trust God? But also, not, do you, not only do you trust God when things are tough, but do you trust God when things are difficult for you? Do you walk by faith and not by sight? Another question I would ask you is, would you rather be with God? Would you rather be with God? I mean, in the physical suffering that you're going through, there's nothing wrong with getting better, wanting to be better. But ultimately, what matters more, the fact that you are with God or, and will be with God or your health? In the mourning that you're going through, and there's nothing wrong with mourning. The Bible tells you to mourn, and you miss someone. But what matters more to you, your relationship with that person or your relationship with God, that you will be with his, him forever, and he is with you now? And again, in, in trials, would you rather go through a trial? Would you rather go through the fire and be with God or get out of the fire? And if Satan gets you out of the fire, that's fine. You just don't want to be in the fire anymore. And again, what about when it's good? I mean, you're healthy. You still want to spend time with God because you don't need him to heal anything? You know, your relationships, you have, you're married, you're happy, you, your kids, all that's good. You have friends, but do you still long to spend time with God? Maybe you're successful. Have you forgotten God and your success? You know, the only outcome that God promises us in the Bible is himself. I certainly hope that whatever you're going through gets better. I certainly hope that whatever challenge might be alleviated. but the, the only outcome that God promises is himself. He does not guarantee that that trial will go away or that we will be healed. I mean, to believe that is to believe in a, a lie, I believe, from Satan that's often taught in our churches, but that's the only thing God promises is himself. And is that what we want, is that what we long for? On Friday night, I took two of my boys to a basketball game and uh, my seven-year-old went with me and I was like, hey, we're gonna be there for like three hours watching two basketball games. And you know, if you have a seven-year-old, you know them sitting anywhere for three hours is like a miracle of Jesus. And so I'm like, you really wanna go? And they went and then my older son was like kind of picking on like, why do you even wanna go? And he was like, well, the first thing is I just, I wanna be with my dad. Oh. <laughs> It doesn't, the other things don't matter as much. I get to be with dad. Is that how we view God? That the most important thing in our life is not what we do or whether that trial goes away or whatever it may be, but do we want to be with 
God? Would we rather be with God? And so we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, as the scripture says. Would you? And the last one I'll say is we aim to honor God. Do you aim to honor God? So, so if we want to know, are we living with spirit-given courage? Do we walk by faith and not by sight, trusting God? Is God as the problem answer to our, you know, everything, really the thing we long for? And then are we living our lives to honor him because of all of that? Our aim is to please him. He has judged us righteous. He's the judge, the scripture says. And he's judged us righteous. So in response to that, we just want to live for him. And we're thinking about him and everything that we do. You ever play basketball, there's a difference between street ball and organized basketball. Street ball, you just kind of play and you're just worried about doing your best and you might throw some elbows and all that stuff and it gets rough. But in, in organized basketball, you have to worry about the referees. You concern yourself with what do they think about how I'm playing? And we live our lives thinking, what does God think about how I'm living my life? Do you? Do you live with that? So spirit-given courage fills us because this world is not our home. I'll summarize this with the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians, not my own. Philippians 1, 21 through 26. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. For us to live is Christ. And to die is our reward. Our reward is when we die and we are with Jesus forever. So if we are still on this earth, that is not better for us. God has left us here on this earth for a reason. And the reason, Paul says, is for their progress and joy in the faith, for the people God has placed around us to progress and have joy in the faith. The reason God has you, Christian, on this earth still, your reward is to come, is for other people to glorify God, for God to use you so that other people glorify God. So the third question I would ask you to discern whether or not we are kingdom-minded is this. Do you view people according to the world's standards or God's standards? Verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, to understand what Paul is saying, you need to understand the Corinthian environment. The Corinthian culture was consumed with outward appearance, an image very you know, different from our culture today. I'll let you... They were overly concerned with, I mean, rhetoric, image, status, strength, wisdom. They prided themselves on that. They celebrated celebrities who were good at rhetoric, good at delivering speeches, good at displaying wisdom. That was what they celebrated. And then they looked at these Christians, and they weren't living according to this world's standards. And Paul says, if you deem us to be beside ourselves, it is because of Christ. And if you in the culture were to say we are in our right mind, that would mean we are living for you. It is the love of Christ that controls us, not the standard that is set by my culture, not the standard that is set by the community I live in, not the world standard. It is the love of Christ that controlled us. And this is why one died for all, therefore we all die. We die to ourselves. We are no longer living for ourselves. And this isn't just outside of the religious circle, this is inside the religious circle. In Galatians, when Paul is dealing with the idea of the gospel being enough for salvation, he says to the Galatian church in Galatians 1 verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says, if I'm living for what you think of me, then I am not serving the right master. God is my master. Christ is my master, and I am living for him. In Christ, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we are a new creation. We have been born again. I am saved by his grace. We have been reconciled to God. He gave us righteousness. The old has been made new. And so that's how I live my life. That's why I live my life the way that I live my life. I no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. I don't look at Christ and say, he was this great man who lived, and we just think about how he's a great man who lived. No, we as people of the faith look at Christ and realize, yes, he lived a perfect life, but that's because he came from heaven. And now he has not only risen from the grave, but he's ascended to heaven to be on the throne of God in his rightful place. And so we don't think about Jesus as the man. We think about Jesus as God, and we don't think about him according to the flesh, and we don't think about people according to the flesh. They weren't created for this temporary living. They weren't created for this migrant community. So my marriage is not about what I can get from that person, what they can give me. It is about how God will use my marriage to sanctify me. Amen. I should have got some amens on that one. And it is about how I can point my marriage partner to Jesus. And therefore, our marriage reflects to those around us the gospel of Jesus Christ. My children, I want to prepare them for earthly success but I don't want my children to be great ball players and great students and not know Jesus and not live their lives for Jesus Christ. The people in my community, my neighbors, they're not just neighbors that I want to help me be peaceful. They're neighbors I should seek to know so that I can show them who Jesus Christ is. I don't regard anyone according 
to the flesh. They are not just my coworkers, my neighbors, my church friends, which is, I think, lower than regular friends. You know, they're not any of that. They're the people that God has placed in my life so that I can help them think about eternity. And when they act different than God would have them to act, it is because they have a different ethic than I do. I should be living my life according to kingdom ethics. And as I engage the people around me, I am showing them the will of God. I'm living my life as the answer to Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the last question I would ask us to really discern whether or not we are kingdom-minded, it's this. Are we ambassadors for the kingdom of God? Are you an ambassador for the kingdom of God? Church, will we be and are we ambassadors for the kingdom of God? The rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been reconciled to God and we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are living to reconcile this tent community that we live in to the kingdom that it was created for. And as we do that, as if God leaves us on this earth, because it's far better to go and be with him, but if God leaves us on this earth, then he places us in society. I'll define society with this definition. Society is the aggregate of people living together in a more or less ordered community. I mean, people pattern themselves in every society in some way to some sort of communal living. And any society you live in, any community you live in is going to be broken without Jesus. Even in a great community, in a great area of the world that we live in here, you, if you press into community, you see brokenness. You see people who are trying to find the way that we should live. You see people who are trying to find what is the truth and justice. And you see people who are trying to find what is life, what is the purpose of life. And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we are saying, be reconciled to God. And Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God. You will find your way. You will find the truth. You will find life in him, Jesus Christ. And so we are living our life as ambassadors for God. Christ making his appeal through us. So as a Christian, you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God in a broken society. As a Christian, we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God in a broken society. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We live in a foreign land representing a different sovereignty. If you remember, if you've been listening to me preach for any length of time, Jesus majorly emphasized the idea of the kingdom of God. 
If you look at the Gospels, Jesus talked over and over about the kingdom of God. In fact, it says that's what he came to do, to preach the kingdom of God. In the beginning, he, what he was doing, he was going around preaching the kingdom of God. And then the Bible tells us in Acts that in the 40 days he rose from the grave, was on earth before he ascended to heaven, he talked, taught them about the kingdom of God. I don't know why this is overlooked and not emphasized like it should be because it's over and over again in the Bible. Perhaps it's because we've lived in a relatively great nation. I, I don't know, but read it and look for the kingdom of God over and over again. Jesus emphasizes the kingdom of God. And then he says, before he ascends to heaven, you will receive power. When they're asking about the kingdom on earth, he says, that's not for me to know or me to tell you. But when the you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. He's saying you will be ambassadors for the kingdom of God in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Wherever you go, whether it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, you are witnesses not for that nation, but for the kingdom of God. Now, if you have a passport and you travel overseas, then like I've said over and over, or I've said earlier, you may be somewhere physically that has a government, but you are actually not represented by that government. You belong to a different government. Now, if you were to get in trouble in that country, then the chances are you would be subject to the rules of that nation. But when we think about God placing us in a place that is not our home. We need to think about not a regular passport, but if we had a diplomatic passport. We are ambassadors. And so we live in a, physically in a place that has a certain kind of government, rulers of this world. But we're actually not accountable to that government, really. We're accountable to our kingdom, the one we belong to. Now, that should actually put fear in us. Because we, while we may face the consequences of our actions in this world, in this sovereignty, we ultimately stand accountable to the God who's given us this life to live for him. And the Bible tells us that our sin, our transgressions against him, the wages of that is death. But here's what has happened. He's taken on the punishment for our crime. The king that we belong to has actually paid the punishment for the crime that we have committed, ransoming us back to himself. That's what's happened to us. And so we live in this world not accountable to this world, but accountable to God, ultimately. But we're ambassadors. God doesn't just say, okay, you know, you live your life and you don't have to really worry about the consequences of this world because one day you'll face God. That's not what he says. He says, you're ambassadors for the kingdom of God. But we, we are in, this is what the Bible tells us. We're in a place where the people who are not living for the kingdom of God aren't neutral. The Bible says people who are not living for the kingdom of God are enemies with God. You know, the Bible also says, it says that Jesus will rule and reign. So the Bible tells us two things. The Bible tells us that there are people who are enemies of God living in opposition to God if they haven't surrendered to him and that Jesus will come and conquer. Now here's historically how a king comes and conquers. They kill as many people as they have to to rule and reign. 
Here's what our king has done. He died himself. And the message we proclaim is say, Jesus is coming to rule and reign. The king is coming to conquer. And you are an enemy of God. But God has demonstrated his own love towards you in that while you are still a sinner, Christ has died for you. So wave your white flag and join the kingdom you were created for and realize that you are just living, temporary living, migrant community, tent home, and God has prepared so much more for you so that we may put away what is mortal and we may have life. That's the message that God wants to proclaim through us. And Jesus didn't just die a noble death. Oh, we have this loving king and he did this great thing for us. But he rose from the grave and he ascended to the right hand of the father, assuring us of his sovereignty, of his rule and his reign. Pray with me. God, I pray that for those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have been born again, those of us who know you, Lord, I can get into all kinds of speculation right here about why. But we live in this world not remembering we're residents, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. We forget to live as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, you would help us in that. And God, if that's us, if we're living for this world and we know we were created, we long for a dwelling not made with human hands. God, I pray right now in this moment, we would just say, no more. No more living for this world. No more being consumed with the standards of this world. No be, more being consumed with what people think about me. But rather, if it means I'm beside myself, that's fine to live for you, Lord. I want to see you through me because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is far better for me to be with you in heaven. So you have left me on this earth so that others might know you and glorify you. God, use me to that end. And Lord, if somebody here today realizes they're not living for you, they're not concerned with your kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven doesn't cross their mind. The bad news is the scripture does tell us that you are an enemy of God. You're not neutral. Values aren't neutral. Ethic isn't neutral. Ways aren't neutral. Truth isn't neutral. Life isn't neutral. You're an enemy of God. But God. But God has offered you the gift of the kingdom by way of Jesus Christ. Surrender to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Cry out to him now to save you. God, I love you. May you have your way in our response. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.